Welcome back to the All Personal Podcast, where we turn the good old saying, nothing personal, just business, upside down, and prove how, in fact, it's all personal, nothing is just business. Because it's how we use our personal skills every day that makes us happy, both at home or at work. And here we go to prove that learning is not an event. But a habit. My guest today is Ronan Leonard, and I have so many things to say about him, I'm not sure what to start with. The first thing I was impressed with is that he was just 23 when he helped rescue passengers and fellow staff. Hear me out. When the cruise ship he worked on, Sank off the wild coast of South Africa. So, for nine years, he continued to work on cruise ships, sailing the world as a casino manager. And so, his first business, no surprise here, a casino party company, grew from just two casino tables to over 50 and the largest gaming events company in Australia. With his casino background, he understands risk and reward, and where the true value lies in what you put your time and money into. And to give you a hint, it's not gambling. Now, Ronan connects small business owners to support groups through the innovative concept of virtual masterminds. He loves seeing the benefits that mastermind groups have on each person who participates and has helped hundreds of business owners increase clarity, confidence, and productivity by creating the support network for them to achieve their true potential. Ronan believes we've lost our connection to a tribe A community that will help us solve our problems and accelerate our learning. He believes that there is more value in making real peer to peer connections than paying external contractors who have no vested interest in our success. Passionate about helping others, he is committed to giving away one in six spots on the platform to social enterprises and entrepreneurs from developing countries to create a truly global community. Now, words such as tribe, community, learning, and global. Spark my curiosity and enthusiasm about the conversation we're about to have. So, here we go. Ronan, it's so great to have you here and thank you for accepting to be on, the, on this podcast today. My pleasure. I love meeting people and talking to people. So, it's an absolute pleasure for me to be on your show today. That's so great to hear. Okay.、Um, because, you know, I was reading your bio and all of the things that you already did. And I wanted to ask you what's, what's been your, your journey so far? So, how did you get to do what you're doing now? Well, it's a good question. I actually never had any kind of set plan or career at all. All I really did was 
move away from things I didn't like doing and just move towards things which which were fun. And sometimes that was to my detriment, but I think overall I wouldn't change anything and I, I've had a very sort of balanced life. So several times I've, I was at jobs where I just went, this isn't working for me. I quit within sort of two, three days I'd left the position when I had so much holiday that I that I could quit. Because uh, the first time I, I was, used to work in London and all these travelers were working and then going away to the the beer fest and or going to Asia and coming back. And I asked for three months unpaid leave. And my boss turned around to me and said, actually, you're a really good worker. We can't afford to give you three months off. Whereas the other guy there that doesn't do any work, we'd give him three months off. So I was being punished for being a good worker. And I said, right, I, I quit. Uh, literally two days later, right. I quit. I had 30 days annual leave all saved up because I had no holidays. And and I just packed my bags up and bought a round the world ticket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And where did that ticket take you? Uh, it took me all around the world. I went through Asia, I went to Australia, the US, and then back to the UK. And and it was just a, a really good, I suppose, key lesson that I took, that if you don't like something, work on it to, to change it. It might not be as, as immediate, but look around and say, you know, this isn't for me. I, I did the same at a couple of years before that. I, I worked for the the government in the UK, and I looked around at the people in the office there, and they all just complained about everything. And they had no ambition. And, and I, I looked around, I thought, this is me in 10 years time, just just shoot me. So again, I, I had this epiphany, well, th- this isn't me, I either leave now, or you become ingrained in, you know, that paycheck or that philosophy, or mm-hmm. all those people around you. And I just said, this is not for me. And I distinctly remember saying, I, I'm done, I've got to get out of here. Okay. Well, that's interesting that, okay, so you thought this, this is not for me. Uh, This is just a paycheck. And so what, how did you decide what was for you? What took you towards who you really were? Well, I had a, I had a a monumental near-death experience in in my life a couple of years later. So after I bought a round the world ticket, I got a job working on cruise ships. Uh, Sounded like a dream job getting paid to travel the world. Uh, I was one of the lowest paid people I worked on the gift shop and I'd only been on the ship six weeks and we were off the coast of South Africa in the middle of the winter and huge storm, 60 foot swells, 100 mile, 160 kilometer hour winds. And in the middle of the night, the, the ship lost all its power and the lights. And what subsequently happened was that the officers and, and crew never told us the ship was sinking. Oh my God. Uh, so we sort of found out sort of secondhand all the procedures that are supposed to be in place weren't followed. Uh, we were sort of told something was going wrong. And then when we filled the first lifeboat with women and children on the one side, on the other side, all the officers uh, or most of the officers and most of the group left uh, and banded us to our fate. So it left me gift, working in the gift shop, uh, the cruise director uh, and a couple of musicians and a few of the entertainers to help load the rest of the boats, man the bridge, do the radar, do this sort of mayday stuff, all the stuff that we just weren't trained for. Uh, so that was just a really key lesson that for me, I didn't panic. I helped. I had a lot of fun, actually. It was, although it sounds like a terrible experience just for me, and I don't know why, uh, even at the time, it was, there was all these funny things that were happening and, and it was, it was surreal and I didn't panic. And I, and I just sort of mucked in and helped people. Uh, help people when helicopters came in the morning, winching people off. And it was just a great experience. So for years, I just told all these funny anecdotes, parties, and, and I worked on ships for another eight years after that. Uh, but it's, it's, um, it helped me with my why to sort of figure out what do I like to do? And I like to help people. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes naturally. I think it's obviously just sort of an instinct. But I, I only found it through 
um, fortuitous near-death experience. And I think some people just never find their, mm-hmm. their true purpose in life. Uh, but if you dig down and you sort of look for it and you look for patterns, I believe you'll sort of find it. And, and you find that sort of unique genius or what you love to do and you just nurture it. So because, yeah, it took you, as you said, a near-death experience uh, and maybe most of us <laughs> don't go through that near-death experience to, um, as a shortcut to discovering maybe our passion and what we really want to do. But as you say, yeah, there there are patterns. So if you look at the patterns, you will discover what what is for you and what you're made for. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your what was your discovery? You said you wanted to help people. So how do you do this? Well, I, I now run a, a company that sets people up into mastermind groups for small business owners. And, and just seeing that learning and that and that process of people discovering things they didn't know, applying them and going, wow, that, that worked. Uh, that sort of help that you can give to people, that direct help is for me is is one of the the biggest gifts you can give people and and like i said earlier everyone's got their own unique ability or their their own sort of pattern for finding finding what they do but to me that's that's the sort of skill set but again it took it took she took quite a bit of sort of self-discovery and a reflection I, I spent almost 18 months just rethinking about those patterns in my life and and, and actually digging down to find my call it unique ability uh, i went through this exercise where I emailed all my friends and said, why are you my friend? <laughs> because it was it was all part of this self-discovery. And I had some interesting uh, answers come back. Oh, okay. Okay. So come on, tell us more. I mean, if I decide to send an email tomorrow to my friends asking them the same questions, maybe, you know, just to know what I would be getting back. <laughs> One of my friends said, uh, wow, this is so you. He said, I would never even ask that question. Oh, he said, right. you're, you're, you're so direct in doing that. And and he gave me a couple of points for improvement. It's a bit like Toastmasters where you go, they say there's, there's praise, then there's improvement, and then there's, then there's praise. They call it the PIP method. You know, it's like a sandwich. So you, you uh, so he gave me some, some really interesting uh, aspects that I hadn't even considered about myself. So I think having that kind of um, outside opinion and, and a bit of self-reflection is a really good tool in your life just to sort of get a better understanding of your strengths, your weaknesses, your areas that you probably, your blind spots almost. So it was a fascinating insight. Mm-hmm. Because it completed, so it was it very different from what you already uh, thought of yourself, especially in terms of your your strengths and maybe points that you were going to develop from there on? Was it very different? It wasn't spectacularly different, but certainly a lot of the a lot of the answers came back. Some reaffirmed the things that I knew I was sort of a core strength or I thought I was good at. And others just did highlight a few areas that I just hadn't even considered. So I, they were complete blind spots for me. And there's a couple that I said, okay, well, that's that's something I can I can work on a little bit. So it was a it was a combination of across the whole spectrum. I think there was there was aspects of every part that resonated. Some that a couple that didn't. A couple went, okay, I didn't know that about myself, but it, it's true. That's a good exercise, actually. You know what? And I never thought of doing that, uh, but now that you mentioned it, I think it's a good exercise. That only gets to help you whenever you're in a self-discovery journey. It can only help because you're getting all of these 
all of this information that you never thought you would be getting anyway, uh, just from the sim- simple exercise of asking a question. So I think, yeah, that's a really powerful thing that you did. Yeah, the other key thing I did is I, I bought a book called Unique Ability by Catherine Namora and, and Dan Kennedy. And in that book, it gets you to list pretty much everything you do, right from bathing the dog, doing the dishes, groceries, right through to the stuff you do at work, your hobbies, everything. And you list them into four categories. So you have your unconscious incompetence. You have your conscious competence, where you know you're bad at something. You have your um, conscious competence, where you're good at something, but it's hard work. And then you have that flow, which is your unconscious competence, where you just do things effortlessly. It requires almost no energy. You're in the flow. You love what you're doing. The time just sort of goes. And, and what, what they recommend is that you try and drop as many of the things that you're not good at as possible and try and work more and more in your flow and your genius and, and what you're good at. And it helps you to write out a statement about what, what your key strengths are. So you look for those patterns that I talked about and, and you look for more ways that you are you know, energized, love what you're doing and, and can do more of it. And they, they gave practical tips, even if you're, for example, you're not an entrepreneur or a business owner and you're in a job, there still might be, you might not like big aspects of it, but there might be two or three areas that you absolutely love. And you can go to your boss and say, I like more of this. This is what I love to do. This is what I'm, I'm brilliant at. So you can proactively find ways to, to get into flow more often, even if you are not necessarily in control of all the tasks you do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. And it's actually... It's a way to what to improve your life day by day, right? Because you become more aware of what you can do. And as you say, you're more proactive rather than being reactive. And then you kind of take control. Yeah, taking control, that's, that's a good statement. And, and again, that's just something that only comes from with, with a bit of practice, a little bit of self-awareness, a little bit of um, diving into to your psyche or your insights or your you know your faults if you want to call it if you want to be that harsh but because we've all got them you know nobody's perfect mm. but it is recognizing some of those areas that you really want to develop and and just picking up a few of those blind spots mm-hmm. so out of those areas obviously there were a couple where you were really where I call them skills muscles. So let's say in in this quadrant that you were talking about, there were a couple of strong skills muscles that you had and that you knew about, and then maybe a couple of strong skills muscles that you weren't necessarily aware of, but some of the other people knew about. And then there were some skills muscles that weren't awake at all maybe, or just a little bit, and maybe you weren't using them too much. Were there any, um, what was the uh, the journey of developing some of these skills, muscles for you? And how did you do it on a regular basis? Was it something that you decided to do? Or was it something that you needed to do? Or both? <laughs> I for me, I think it was decided more than, than needed, but I suppose it depends where your awareness comes from. Um, maybe need is poor. If you, often we only change when we reach a crisis point or we finally had enough, and that's the, the need. Other times you just might say, look, there's something missing. I don't know what that is. Let's start to, to dig a little deeper and find out what that is. Uh, one of the first things I did was I added meditation to my for a daily routine. I'd never done it before. I thought it was just for hippies. And then 
I started it and for the last three and a half years, I've meditated every single day. Uh, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, hangover, no hangover, whatever <laughs> whatever it is, I, I've meditated every single day. So that was the first part. And I think looking back, I think a couple of the questions might have said I was a little bit too too abrupt or, or short from those answers. Uh, so that was the first one for me. Also, my wife used to say, look, I, I know it's Monday because you've got Monday-itis. So even though I run my own business, I would come home Monday um, quite sort of... Um, agitated or snappy and with meditation a couple of things that that's sort of gone so that was the first layer i had for most people it's it, it changes hard that's a reality it is hard mm. so you focus on one thing what's going to move the needle the most or what's the you're most interested or what do you feel that you can at least tackle and you can always drop these things they don't work for you there's, there's no point meditating every day it doesn't work for you but if you haven't tried it or you, you talk about exercise. I don't have time to exercise. I mean, saying you don't have time is one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves. What we're basically saying is that oh, I don't value that enough to drop mm. doing something else to to do that. And when you can when you can reframe it that way, then some of your excuses sort of drop away. And and it, when you're being honest with yourself and other people, it also helps you as well to say, look, I I just I, I don't sound like I don't have time. It's just that I think that's important. Uh, and that's just a way of good just reframing some of your language and it'll help you drop some of those limiting beliefs but also should help you to be more open say okay well really do i not, not have enough time let me let me uh, really assess that and see if it is a priority for me yeah it makes perfect sense to me i mean yeah and we we use that as an excuse uh, a lot as you say as we use the excuse of uh you know what i'm not good at that i'm just not good at that and that's it Although, you know, I never tried to get any better, but I just, because I just know I'm not good at, I'm not good with numbers or, you know, I'm not a good speaker or whatever, whatever it is, we will find that excuse. And then of course we won't have, I like to say that we don't have time to make time. (laughs) (laughs) You don't, you don't find it because we make our own time, right? We make time for things that we make time for and some things we don't have time to even make time for yeah absolutely every day that we're alive we get a, we get 24 more hours and sure we have obligations um family commitments other those things that are they're almost non-negotiable but around that we we do have free time and we can pick and choose uh, what we want to do but we get into certain habits and and they're very hard to break i t- totally get that but you can't say look i don't have time for 15 minutes meditation a day and then you'll you'll watch tv for two hours mm-hmm. so it's 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 a, just a question of yeah just looking at, at what you do on a daily basis and, and if something's not working just look at ways that you can um, change that and and eliminate that yeah and um it's it's good that you you mentioned the uh the habits because actually what what you were also talking about was more of breaking a habit in places um where you noticed that that habit wasn't doing you much good, or maybe it wasn't, or maybe it wasn't you altogether. It was just a habit that became a habit through various circumstances. It was a, a paycheck maybe, and that can be a habit as well. But um, that was a, a habit that you wanted to break. And you can actually break this habit by creating a new let's say more useful habit right yes your most of your energy has to go somewhere else so if you've got a 
habit tends to be just a trigger reward and then it just becomes this this pattern this self-fulfilling pattern and and often some of those habits don't serve us it could be sort of smoking uh, drinking whatever that is uh, these days it's it's too much phone use uh, when I worked on the ship afterwards, I worked to casinos and mm. social media used the same patterns for getting you addicted to your phone as they do in the casino. So the the flashing lights, which is the the message alerts, the randomness of it. So you're not you're not specifically checking your phone for something that you know is important. You're randomly going through hoping that something is going to pique your interest. So they're, they're the exact same things they use in in casinos. Um, so it's not your fault that you're addicted to. To, to your phone and to, to, to Facebook and all those those messages, mm-hmm. it's it's deliberately designed to, to do that. So it, it can just be you know over time. You, it's at, you know at some stage you never you never signed up four or five years ago on your smartphone to say I will spend three hours a day on this phone. It just became that that sort of habit. Um, but eventually, you know, when it gets to that point where well this doesn't seem more, I spend so much time on there, it's complete waste. But you do need to, you would know this better than me, to, to break that habit, you almost need a, another one, a more uh, a more interesting one or somewhere to channel that energy it needs to go somewhere. Otherwise, that habit just sort of reappears. This is um, exactly why I started to do what, I, what I'm doing now with training and coaching of the personal skills. This creation of habit and this power of, that we have to decide that we want to break the habit and we want to build a, another one. But I didn't know about the fact that, you know, you get addicted to your phone the same way you're addicted to going to the casino. So thank you for mentioning that because that's a good tip. And now I will think about it when, whenever I'm checking my phone. Well, social, social media, Facebook and those, they employ the smartest people in the world because they're the biggest company. So they, they employ those people and their job is to just get you to spend more time on there. So how do they do that? They use the same same techniques as, as the casino. So like I said, it's not your fault. It's, uh, it's, it's insidious and, and that's their business model. Yeah. And it obviously works very well. Yeah, mm, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it does. All right. So, um, good. So now that we know, I'm telling you, I will, I will remember that because that's, uh, that's more than just an analogy uh, and I will remember it. Um, but to move on, because I know that you, so you're currently, your business is to help entrepreneurs and to put them in a sort of a community where they can get advice and develop further in, in their role as an entrepreneur or solopreneurs as you call them and I want to I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and how how you got to to do that and what drove you to do that and what your what your findings are as, as someone who's been doing that for some time now well it all came out of the the self-discovery I did and I, I looked at uh, what my unique genius and that's when I went back to the cruise ship and and, and came came up with this this idea that I, I love helping people and around about the same time I've I've been in my previous business for close to a decade and and I was finding that it just it just wasn't working for me anymore I'd taken it as far as I could the, it was a very very niche market that wasn't really growing uh, I'd lost my energy and excitement for it. And then I participated in this mastermind group and I instantly felt that I'd found my calling because I'd spent a decade coming home from from my small business and I'd had sort of two or three staff 
uh, and all these contractors. And then I'd have no one to bounce his ideas with apart from my wife. And she'd be working all day and, and I'd come home to him, what about these? So there was there was no kind of space for me. I, I, I didn't create one. Let's not say there's no space. I didn't create one where I could get different opinions. I could ask questions. I could get some feedback. And also I could connect with other people that are on a similar journey to me. So when I joined my very first mastermind, I thought this is this is the the piece of the puzzle I've been missing. But also, I I realised that my my skill set really sort of helped that that group. And as a result, I thought, well, this is this is um, this is my sort of unique ability. This is what I'm I'm really good at. Uh, so I set up a company that that connects those people and 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 gives them that sort of framework to to thrive rather than survive. And how how does it work? What do you what do you do with them? So effectively, they they meet in a uh, online meeting room, mm-hmm. and they discuss everything, predominantly around business, but it can be sort of personal because because we're interconnected. Where you can't run a business and and be totally disconnected from it. There there's a there's a symbiotic relationship between the two. The, the business owner needs the the mindset and ideas to to grow that business and to to work on it and the drive and the ambition and and the excitement and all those things. But effectively, we go through some of the productivity habits, um, goal setting, accountability, advice, um, feedback with each other. We try and get people to, to to partner up as accountability partners to help each other and just create that sort of safe space where you can open up and talk about your real business issues. Because if you look online, everybody's winning. Everybody's fantastic. You know, they're, they're the, buyer, <laughs> the buyers are yeah. always amazing. Uh, and then you speak to them and go, everyone's got the same fears, frustrations, doubts, and blockages to take their business to that that next level. And the ones that are prepared to to reach out and say, look, I haven't got it all figured out. You know, do you know how to, to do Facebook marketing or any idea what I should do about this? I'm thinking of launching into a new market or a new product and getting that feedback and advice from people that have um, predominantly done what you've just done or can at least give you an impartial advice because obviously if you go to a marketing person about Facebook and say I'm looking to do Facebook they'll tell you what they know and and their sort of niche because they're trying to sell to you whereas in a mastermind group people aren't selling to you they they've connected you on that deeper level and they're able to give you uh, that impartial advice that you that you really need so basically that helps them in a way confront their their fears or at least share their fears and realize it's not Uh, such a lonely journey as they thought it was uh, realize that other people are going through similar things yeah absolutely I mean all all your desires are on the other side of your fears mm. and it's only when you can and you when you really sort of want something and it's it's higher than your your fear factor will you actually sort of break through and say okay enough's enough I'll, I'll overcome my fear it doesn't matter whether it's public speaking doesn't matter whether it's Uh, learning a new skill, whatever that is, at, at some stage that that de- desire has to be stronger than your fear. Otherwise, the fear will keep you back and say, oh, "I can't do that. That's not me. I, I haven't learned that." Like you said earlier, uh, I'm no good at that. Whereas, mm-hmm. whereas if you say, "Look, okay, well that that might be the case, but I want to learn and I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to be a little bit vulnerable and and be that person that doesn't know initially." And and when you have that strong enough desire, you will overcome those fears. Absolutely. What's the biggest fear you conquered? Uh, I would probably say some self-doubt. I think we sort of, 
Um, we're in pro pro programmed from a sort of early age. If you're sort of told you're not very good or you tell yourself, I'm not particularly good. I'm not, um, I'm not really that smart. Then you can use that, uh, that framework that you've built around yourself and you can carry that through to, to your grade. So I think for me, that was, that was probably the biggest one. And how did you, how did you get to, how did you know you conquered it? What did you do? Oh, this, that one took, uh, that one's taken several years and probably is still a work in progress. Oh, so it doesn't work uh, on the spot as a miracle? No, no, there is no, there is no magic, no. magic wand or, uh, <laughs> or secret pill to take. Uh, it's just, mm. it's just a sort of um, an ongoing process of, of looking at uh, how you react to things, what's your mindset look like, uh, have you improved in, in some small way, and, and it's we talked about habits earlier. It's just hearing one on top of the other, and and that's and that's all it is. Okay, so that one worked for me. I've got a gratitude journal. That's great. What's next? Uh, I, I, the meditation. What else? Just a couple of small little things, and I'm, I'm trying to just slowly, slowly mm-hmm. improve uh, because it's it's just a I said you know it's a lifelong skill set to learn. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, that you mentioned that you've, you've found what works for you. And I think this is, um, I think this is an important one because, uh, what we tend to do as well is we look at the things that we haven't done yet. So we have a to do of things and, uh, some of them we manage to do. Some of them are still there on the to-do list. And we look at the to-do list and look at those things that we haven't done yet instead of looking at the things that we've accomplished so far and actually looking at what works for me and what's been working for me on a longer period of time gives me maybe um, a result of, okay, so these things got me from here to there. And I'm good at that. Yes. Um, looking back to see this patterns and that self-reflection really works really well. Um, mm-hmm. we, we often hit this point, though, where uh, we can't grow anymore. It's in, in corporate speak. It's called the Peter Principle, where we've all had them, where someone's been in, uh, promoted uh, above or to their level of incompetence, they call it. So you you hit that scene mm-hmm. where yeah. you go, okay, this person was was great as a 2IC, but he's now a terrible manager. He's been promoted to that point where he's terrible. Uh, but the same happens to us. We reach that point where uh, the habits and, and the skill sets we have uh, are just are, are not enough. And, and sure, we do have that. Um, we're, we're goal-seeking people. We Without a goal, it's why most people tend to, to die when they retire because they've got no other purpose. So we are... We are supposed to, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but we mm. are goal-setting people. We, we've got things to attain that we, we want out of life and we're striving towards those. So we do need to be mindful of that. But when you mentioned that, yes, you need to look at the skills that sort of got you there, if they're good enough to keep you going, then you keep repeating those and, and doing that. But if they're not, you, it's a good idea to look around and say, okay, well, what, what's missing? What else can I improve on? Where are the gaps? What's going to take me to my next goal? Yeah. I think it takes a lot of um, self-awareness, right? And looking, working, a lot of working with yourself and deciding to do that and deciding to maybe uh, accept the things that you still have to improve. Yes, it's, uh, it is a fascinating journey and, and it's scary for some people, but it's, it's, so, it's so worth it. I mean, mm. you would know the results that you get with your clients and, and those breakthroughs 
and and that's the that's the magic of it when when people learn something and they implement it and they, and they get those results it's it's just such a great feeling that that you get just from from being the person that was able to to, to show them the path um there's that great sort of saying is that um don't don't show me how you made your riches uh, the biggest the biggest um, gift you can give someone is to show them their own their own skill sets and their own riches yeah uh yeah exactly help them help them see their riches where they were in the first place maybe they were just covered by by something and they just uncover them and they get to see them again did you notice a pattern in the um the people that you work with and the entrepreneurs that you work with in, in this master group is this, let's say, cause you mentioned self-doubt and I have to say for me, it's still a big thing, <laughs> uh, but is it, and don't just say yes to make me feel good about it, but is it a common thing among entrepreneurs, the self-doubt? It's, it's there for all of us all of the time. It's just a question of which sort of level you're at. So if you, if you make $100,000 a year, you think someone making 500, you know, it's almost impossible for you. If you're at 500, people tend to think, okay, well, it's what's it like to earn 2 million. Um, I believe that people hit those ceilings all the time. Uh, so it's not, you, you, no one's ever got it figured out. And I don't care whether they're Mark Zuckerberg or they're starting out for their very first freelancer job and, and they've got their first two clients. It is, it is ongoing and it's just a question of, almost accepting that but also you you look for those limiting beliefs and you'll you'll see them all the time and you'll either address them or you'll buy into them and, and that limiting belief will, will come up for everybody me included so um the the reality is i don't think anybody's got it figured out and often the most um the most people that that you think have got it all figured out you then find out that it's it was all a charade you've only got to look at the recent celebrities um uh, Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, both of them took their own life. So you look at them from the outside and go, oh, they've got everything. You know, they've they've mm. got uh, high profile, yeah. very successful businesses. They've got it all. And, and yet, you know, it clearly, clearly isn't enough. So we, we've all got it. Mm. Yeah. Is it our search for perfection or our need for perfection or our need to display perfection in every way possible that takes us here at a maybe crossroad where we realize well you know actually I'm, I'm not that perfect and my life is not perfect and maybe it shouldn't be but by now people expect me to be perfect and how can I be any less I'm not quite sure about perfection because I I I'm almost the opposite. If, it, if it's close to good enough, I'll I'll, I'll ship it. It's done. So I, I'm not a perfectionist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, my wife's almost the exact opposite of me. But I think the easiest way to explain it for, for me was I saw a TED talk by a guy called Sean Aker about, about four years ago, and he talked about getting into one of the most prestigious schools in in the US. He talks about happiness. Yeah. And he said that we are constantly deferring our happiness. You get good grades at school, you want better ones. You go to a good school, you want a better school. You get a good job, you want a better one. You get a nice car, you want a better car. So we're constantly deferring our happiness till sometime in the future. Uh, I'll be happier when I get the next promotion. I'll be happier when I've paid off the mortgage, whatever it is. 
and as a result we tend to obviously miss out on on the, all the things around us the gratitude and what we have right now and it's one of the things i instilled into the, the mastermind group is that the first thing we do is is check in and tell us a score out of 10 and why is that for because we're looking for people with high energy i'm nine out of 10 i've had a great week and also the first thing we talk about is our wins for the week because we spend the small business owners we spend all week solving problems either problems trying to grow our business trying to scale it trying to implement new things trying to look after our clients so we are fixated with problems other people's and ours and that's all we deal with pretty much all day and we never sit back and go actually i I got two new clients today they 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 were awesome you know i got a thank you letter from one of my customers i i got these little sort of sort of wins so we looking for gratitude in your life is a huge a huge thing that can just help you be happy right now, still striving for those goals, but not constantly mm-hmm. um, putting off your happiness until sometime in the future. And when that future comes, you then just look for another goal to set and you're constantly you know, looking for that happiness. I'm happy that you mentioned gratitude because the, um, the first episode of this podcast is about gratitude. The discussion was going around the same, the, the same thing where we tend to we think we're going to be happy somewhere in the future and that prevents us from looking what we have right now that could actually make us happy if only we'd noticed it only that we don't because we look forward we don't look here now to what's in right in front of us yeah, well, um, biologically, we're hardwired to look for for bad news. Is what kept us alive when when you know, yeah. when we were mm-hmm. um, evolving, and 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 now it's almost the exact opposite. It it, it doesn't um, it doesn't really help us that much. Look, who knows where society is going and the, yeah. the future of mankind? I don't know, but right now it, it doesn't help us. Uh, I stopped watching the news about four years ago because a business coach um, gave me a couple of reasons why, and then I saw um, Elaine de Botton the the philosopher from from the UK talked about there's only 26 different news stories mm-hmm. and they just recycle the same ones again and again to look for those patterns. But also their their whole business model is to is to make you a little bit anxious, a little bit more fearful because they because they know you'll watch and that's what they do. And then they put one happy story at the end. They rescued this cat up a tree or um, this you know charity thing just to just so it's not 100 percent negative, just to get you to finish on that positive one so you'll watch again the following night. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, it's it's uh, happiness and gratitude uh, are something that is all around us, uh, and I don't want to be preachy here because I haven't got it all figured out myself. But it, you can definitely work on it like any other mm-hmm. uh, skill and say, okay, I can just I can just be a little bit more grateful today. I think a couple of years ago, like maybe more than a couple of years, but um, I've been hearing the words gratitude and happiness more and more often um, in the last couple of years than any, I mean, if you talked about gratitude and happiness 20 years ago, people would be looking at you as if you were crazy. (laughs) Now, uh, or maybe all, everyone around you would do that. Now you will find those two, three people out of 10 who will think that you're crazy <laughs> talking about that. But um, the rest of them will understand what you mean. And this is one of the focuses that we have right now. Does it have to do with us being in between the present moment and our need 
foreseeing the future and the, the constant change and the rapid changes and the rapid rhythm and everything so fast uh, moving, moving all around us. Does this, does this search for gratitude and for finding real happiness um, mean that we are looking for an antidote to the fast pace of everything around us? Do we want to be still? Mm, that's, a, that's a good question, actually. I, I hadn't quite tied it to that. But, but ultimately, change is inevitable. And, and everyone who wants to, to say the same goes backwards because that's the reality. Like you said, it was a, we are rapidly evolving. Everything, just the way everything we, we think, feel, and almost do is, is evolving and changing at a faster pace than, than, than ever. So it's very easy to be overwhelmed. It's also very easy to forget that not everybody has uh, what we in the, the Western world have. You know, once you've got your, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of need, where you've got your um, your basic things covered, roof over your head, food those on the table, then you then you search for something something else, uh, and and people are trying to find that in happiness now rather than buying things, or rather than think they need a bigger house, a bigger car. Uh, so everybody's different, uh, and obviously there are people that that aren't aren't there yet that, that you know that don't have the income or are struggling in in, in certain ways. Um, so to, to them, this idea is probably too far removed uh, because they've got their basic needs to, mm. to to cover first. But for people that do live in that privileged society where you you do have pretty much um, almost no crime or very little. You've you've got all your basic things covered, then it's you, you chase more money and and a more status and 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 do these things that don't really align to your intrinsic values, or do you just look around for for more more things that that absolutely sort of um, float your boat? Because nobody ever got to their deathbed and said, "I wish I worked more." That's the reality. <laughs> they said, "I wish I'd spent more time with family friends. I wish I'd you know climbed a mountain. Whatever whatever that is." Um, so it's it is a balancing act. You've you've just got to find that right balance. And I think we are in search of that balance because I think things became quite unbalanced um, around us. I think people realize that it takes it takes so little to just stop and think about what you have right now and uh, where you are and what you've done so far and what you've accomplished. It it just takes a moment to to stop and think about it and. Okay, uh, I wanted to to ask you uh, a more basic question: Why mastermind guy? Why do you like to to see yourself that way? It's a good question. I, I think I've come to masterminds late in life, and I'm probably one of those people that has become almost a zealot. I suppose uh, I did spend some time looking at my why. I went through the Simon Sinek formula to work out my business why. But I also spent about 18 months working on, on, on my why, my intrinsic values. So for me, it was quite sort of, sort of natural. And also, one of the best phrases I've ever heard was, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, by Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn was a mentor to Jack Canfield and also to Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard this question or this statement, I thought, well, that, that, sounds, a bit, that sounds a bit rude. That sounds a bit, a bit sort of harsh. But then the more I reflected on it, the more I realized it was so true. 
um, smokers hang out together, people who take drugs hang out together. But conversely, people that are inspiring and, and there's all these meetups now, people that are like-minded hang around together. So it's really important to have a look at your five people that you hang around with and, and see, are, are they still inspiring you? Are they supporting you or are they dragging you down? And we've often got friends from school that we're still friends with, and, and that's great, providing that you've both grown and you've both still got similar values and, and you're still you know, really good friends and, and they're there for you and, and, and it's a great support. So it's definitely a question of, of looking around for that. Right. Yeah. But ultimately for me, masterminds are just a great way of connecting to, to amazing people, hearing what they do, because I learn from them all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a symbiotic relationship. There's, the best thing about masterminds is that it's not the guru on the hill telling everybody what they should do. It's that collaboration of minds of everyone coming together and sharing their idea and experience. And, and that's what I just love about them. Right. It's um, the power of the, uh, of the tribe you're in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When you get more than two people together and, and they work on a problem, the outcome will always be better than the smartest person in that group. Always. Mm-hmm. And I'll give yeah. you an example. I, I heard this great story of uh, this submarine disappeared and they got four or five different experts in to plot what could have happened to it, what could have gone wrong. And when they found it, they were within 200 uh, feet of where the actual submarine was uh, found. And this was a huge, I'm talking, you know, almost a thousand kilometers radius of where it potentially could have been. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody, none of those experts got it right, but they collated all the data from all of them and they plotted something based on the information from everybody in the average. And they were within a couple of hundred meters of, of that. So it, it just proves that that power of uh, everybody coming together and creating an outcome that is better than the sum of all the individuals. Yeah, it's true. Um... Because um, you know, I, I I could have this conversation forever, but um, we've we've reached the end of it, or we're right before the end of it, and I cannot let it finish before I ask you for one inspiring thought, or quote, or book, or idea that you want to share with our audience today. The book that inspired me the most is called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Mm-hmm. And it's just a way of uh, almost reframing everything you think about yourself. So he was a plastic surgeon in Germany, uh, originally from, from the US. And this is back in the sort of 30s, 40s, the pioneer of plastic surgery. And then he wrote this book. And as a result, almost every single self-help guru, every sports psychologist, have all based all of their work on on him. So he's the he's the founding father figure of um, psychology, sports psychology, and what it means to almost sort of change yourself. So if anyone's interested in in learning more about themselves and about who they think they are and, and how they change that, then that's the one book I recommend to absolutely everybody. Wow! Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I will put it in the um, in the notes for the for the episode anyway. But um, thank you very much for for sharing it with with us today. And uh, where do we find you? I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, again, I talk about sort of social media, so I try and stay off the ones that are, have too many too many sort of uh, distractions. <laughs> so I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm just Ronan Leonard, the Mastermind Guy. My website is accountability.io. So it's a play on words from accountability. So there's an E instead, and the extension is .io. So they're the two best places to, to find me if you've got any questions, anything I can help you with. 
I always finish off each, each mastermind with, is there thing I can help you with? So I'll just share that with the audience as well. Yeah, thank you so much for that. It's a, yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, and right at the end of the conversation. So thank you very much for being here and sharing your thoughts and ideas and uh, being so inspirational today. Uh, thank you, Roxana, for in, uh, having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And thank you all again for being here on the All Personal Podcast. What I'm taking with me today is the fact that, yes, usually a near-death experience will make us fast-forward our learning journey. What I also realized talking to Ronan is that every day is equally important, that we can decide to make it important, to make it a day that counts for us and everyone around us. A day when we decide to stop putting off our happiness until sometime in the future. And this is, of course, all personal.